Thank you for tuning into the Apostolic Pentecostal Church podcast. You are currently listening to one of our iGrow series lessons. If you're in the Bloomington, Illinois area and want to sit in person, feel free to join us Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. for Bible study and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for worship in the Word. Can't make it in person? No big deal. Find us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram and search Apostolic Pentecostal Church. Either way, we'd love to fellowship and worship with you. We hope to see you. All right, let's go ahead and we'll get started. And so this is lesson two of a three-part series on Jesus. And I'll just let you know when um, Pastor gave us this lesson, he just said, whatever you want, just three lessons on Jesus. And I have never, we have never been so overwhelmed in our life trying to think of what in the world can we talk about Jesus because there's so many topics. It's such a broad uh, topic that you can speak about. And how can you ever do it justice? How can you ever speak justice of Jesus? And so we decided that we were going to try to speak about Jesus in the Old Testament. We want to kind of just stretch our minds a little bit. There's so many things we could talk about in the New Testament, but we wanted to really dive into the Old Testament. And really, we're going to talk a lot about prophecy today. And that's what you're covering. When you're looking at the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures, you're think it's, his, it's um, prophecy of what's to come. And many Christians, they consider biblical prophecy to be puzzling or hard to understand, mysterious, uh, lots of words that they come up with, but basically just it's really hard. It's hard to, to figure out that prophecy. But I want you guys to think about one thing specifically. As you're reading the Bible, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, you really need to think about Jesus. Jesus, if you're reading the Old Testament and you're thinking of Jesus, things will come in clearer. You'll begin to see how those prophecies can relate if you're thinking of Jesus specifically. So Revelation 19.10 says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Only Jesus can unlock the doors of understanding when it comes to prophecy. And if you want to talk about prophecy, you have to talk about Jesus. So all history, all past and all present and all future, it all revolves around Jesus. There's no getting away from Jesus. So you can talk about theology, you can talk about stories in the past, but if you're not really looking and searching for Jesus, you're going to miss it. So you want to really put Jesus in the forefront of your mind as we're going through all of these scriptures today. So Jesus is the focus of the Bible. It is his story. It's history. And last week we discussed when Jesus met his two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And this was after his resurrection. And the disciples were walking along and Jesus noticed them, recognized them, and ran up to them. And they did not recognize Jesus. And they were really distraught and downtrodden because of all of the things that had happened in Jerusalem. And Jesus asks, you know, why are you so down? And they say, you must be the only one in all of Jerusalem that doesn't know what's happened these last few days. And Jesus takes this as an opportunity to really give them a lesson, a Sunday school lesson, right then and there as they were walking on that road. And Jesus tells them, he starts the whole story. He tells them the whole story starting in the beginning. And he says, beginning with Moses and the prophets, they were all centered on the events that just happened in Jerusalem. 
Like, this is prophecy. You're missing it. This wasn't just circumstantial, but this all had to take place. All the prophecies had to be fulfilled in order for, um, for Jesus to be able to be who he was. So the Old Testament and the New Testament, if you look, Jesus is on every single page. And if you read the Bible with that understanding, your eyes are going to be opened to who he is and his plan that was from the very beginning. So just in our lesson, we're going to try our very best to make this conversational so that we don't lose anybody. And I know I learn best uh, as a conversation. So I'm just curious. How does that make you think differently of the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures if you were to read it through the lens of Jesus? Any thoughts on that? Like, how would that change the way you read the Old Testament if you're looking through the lens of Jesus? I would myself. You would? Yeah. Yeah. That's what Josh does. Mm He kind of tries to put himself there in the middle of the story, brings it to life. I don't have that ability. Did you? <laughs> Any other thoughts? To me, I feel it's a challenge. Like, I want to go back and read it and try to think about how does this relate to Jesus? Like, I'm trying to tie everything back in um, to how this ties. Jesus said in Luke 24, verse 44, that everything written concerning him in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. This is a reference to the three sections of the Old Testament. And we'll also refer to that as the Hebrew Scriptures. And that's also how the series is broken down. It's broken down into the law, the prophets, and in Psalms. So last week, we discussed more of the law. This week, we're going to discuss the prophets. And next week, Psalms. So um, Acts 3 tells the story of Peter and John going to the temple to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, there was a man who was lame from birth being carried in. And the lame man, or the beggar, asked Peter and John for some money. And what was their response? Yep. Silver and gold have I none, but what? Exactly. So, but what I have, um, I give to thee, and in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And that was it in so many words. The people saw this and they were astounded. They were shocked and marveled that that Peter and and John were able to do this type of a miracle. So that this made an opportunity for Peter. It's opened a door for him to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So Peter addresses the crowd, and as he's teaching to them about Jesus, he says in Acts 3, starting with Samuel, Every prophet spoke about what's happening today. So I think it's interesting that we focus so heavily when we're wanting to learn about Jesus. We focus so heavy on the New Testament, on the, really just the Gospels and a little bit of Acts. But when the disciples were teaching people about Jesus, they were teaching Old Testament prophecies. So it's important for us to learn the Old Testament prophecies because that is what they taught and that all points back to Jesus. So remember the prophet Samuel, he lived during the transition between the judges and the kind uh, and the kind kings. Oh, <laughs> I spelled wrong. I'm like, what? And the kings of Israel. So Samuel lived between judges and kings. And he was actually seen as the first succession of prophets, of all the prophets to come. Samuel, what was so special about Samuel? Who did he anoint? He anointed, yeah, he anointed kings. 
but who was one of the one that he anointed? David. He did. Samuel anointed King David. And so Samuel was the founder. He was the one who, who picked out David, anointed David, and then we know that David's royal line um, is where the Messiah comes from. And so all the prophets from Samuel on point to the Messiah. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, we learn that there is a covenant promise that was made with David. King David summons Nathan. I'm going to tell you a little story here. So King David summons Nathan and he says, look, you know, David's got this big, huge palace and he has some guilt. He says, look, I've got all this stuff. I've got this great big palace, this nice home, and yet the Ark of the Covenant, the Temple of God is, is in a tent. And I need, to build, I need to build a home for the Ark of the Covenant. And Nathan, who was the prophet, said, okay, do what you want. The Lord will be with you. Do, do what you want. Well, that night, Nathan went home and he laid down and the Lord spoke to him. And he gave him a message to give back to David. And he said, David, I'm going to make a house for you. You know, David's wanting to make a house for God's presence. And God is saying, I'm going to make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For when you die and are buried, I'm going to raise up one of your descendants and going to make his kingdom strong. And I will secure his royal throne forever. And then after, Dave, after Nathan reported these words to David, David prayed a prayer of thanksgiving and he focused on the longevity of his throne. Someone, I think it's Sister Bishop, has 2 Samuel 7, 19, 25, and 29. And then the next one is Psalms 89, 3 through 4, and 34 through 37. Oh, I can't get them to quit putting stuff in front of it. <laughs> They've got their own idea what needs to be read. <clears throat> and this was yet a small thing in thy sight, O Lord God. But thou hast spoken also of thy servant's house for a great while to come. And is this the manner of man, O Lord God? And 25 yes. says, let it stay. And now, O Lord God, the word that thou hast spoken concerning thy servant and concerning his house, establish it forever and do as thou hast said. 29 says, Therefore now let it please thee to bless the house of thy servant, that it may continue forever before thee. For thou, O Lord God, hast spoken it, and with thy blessing let the house of thy servant be blessed forever. So David was so thankful that his lineage was going to live on and be blessed. And so these are scriptures of him thanking the Lord. Thank you for extending my home, that my home is going to be blessed. And then Psalms 89, 3 through 4 and 34 and 37. Does anybody have that? I do. Okay. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant. Thy seed will I establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations. See you then 34 through 37. Yes. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David, his seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever as the moon, and as a faithful witness in heaven. Selah. 
Thank you so much. So here again, this is in Psalms, and this is talking again about how the Lord is establishing his kingdom with David. And this is, again, prophecy because we know that the Messiah comes from the seed of David. We know that um, in the Gospels they talk about this, and that was one of those prophecies that was fulfilled uh, with Christ coming. Luke 1, 30 through 33. I have that one. Uh, it says, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God, and behold, thou shalt... Oh, what just happened? Oh. <laughs> thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and he shall be called Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. So centuries earlier, God had promised David that his kingdom would last forever. And then this was fulfilled with the coming of Jesus, who was a direct descendant of David, and his kingdom will never end. We know that. This covenant finds its fulfillment in the Messiah, Jesus, who is David's greatest son. But he is at the same time the son of God because we know that that was a miraculous conception in Mary's womb. And then Luke 1, 68-70. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began. Thank you. So this is Zechariah, and when Zechariah, this is talking of Zechariah, when he was filled with the Holy Ghost, and who was Zechariah? Does anyone remember? Who was he the father of? Someone very important? During, exactly. He was the father of John the Baptist, and remember when um, the two mothers met, you know, John the Baptist left in the womb. So he gave a prophecy linking John's ministry as the forerunner of the Messiah with the ancient prophecy that Nathan had made to David. So Zacharias had said, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who has been since the world began. All right. Sister Cindy's been talking for a long time. Let's give her a break. Thank you. <laughs> Um, so going back a little bit, um, Sister Cindy already talked about it a little bit about, um, about the prophecy of Jesus's birth. Um, and one of the most specific prophecies that we see in Isaiah is found actually in the message that Isaiah gave to Ahaz, um, who was the king of Judah. And this is actually where that first prophecy of the birth of Jesus comes from. Um, King Ahaz faced a military threat, and the Lord told Isaiah to take his son with him and meet Ahaz to give him a word. Um, does someone have Isaiah 7, 4, 6? Sister Mel? And say unto him, Take heed and be quiet. Fear not, neither be faint-hearted, for the two tails of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin with Syria and the son of Remaliah, because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah have taken evil counsel against thee, saying, 
let us go up against Judah and vex it, and let us make a breach therein for us, and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabeel. Okay. And again, that was just the scripture found um, in that where the Lord told Isaiah to take his son and go give um, king of Judah a word. Um, what about Isaiah 7, 9? Yep. And go the, ahead, Nelson. And the head of Ephraim in, is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Ramallah's son. If ye will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. Okay. I think I might have recorded this wrong, because um, I think I wanted 7 through 9. So I'll just go ahead and read. It says... Um, yet this is what the Sovereign Lord says, it will not take place, it will not happen, for the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and I think this is what Nelson read, and the head of Samaria is only Remelah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. So luckily for Ahaz, this military pressure that he feels and these plans of destruction from these other nations would fail. That's the word that God gave to him um, through Isaiah. Um, but it was still up to Ahaz to respond to what the Lord had spoken to him. In verses 10 and 11 of that same chapter, the Lord tells Ahaz to ask him for a sign. You know, the Lord, Lord gives him this promise and says, if you don't believe me, you know, test me, try me, like I will give you a sign. Um, and this was a great opportunity for Ahaz to ask the Lord for <coughs> divine confirmation. You know, how many of us have ever longed for that? You know, it's one thing to have the faith that, God will do what he promised you he would, but it's a whole nother for, for God to offer you complete confirmation that this will be done. However, Ahaz just says, thanks, but no thanks. Um, so we might think that's the end of the matter. Ahaz says he doesn't want to sign, you know, Odd. I feel like anybody would jump at that chance, but, you know, okay. Um, if Ahaz doesn't want a sign that God would deliver his people, surely God just wouldn't give one. God told Ahaz, however, in verse 9, that if he didn't stand firm in his faith, that he wouldn't stand at all. So it would be a reasonable thing to think that if Ahaz didn't want that sign, he didn't really have the faith that God was going to do it, and God wouldn't give him that sign. But that wasn't the case. Instead, the Lord said, yeah, I'm going to give you one anyway, even though I offered it to you, and you decided you weren't going to take me up on it. So does someone have Isaiah 7, 13, and 14? Yes. She got so you many. again? <laughs> She's Sorry. in the front row. She got well, I'm glad you're willing. <laughs> and he said, Hear ye now, O house of David. It is a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, 
and shall call his name Emmanuel. Yep. So instead, the Lord speaks through Isaiah saying, It's one thing for you to be weary of men, to not trust men. But to be weary of me, no, I'm not going to have that. You're going to get a sign. And this is where that famous prophecy of Jesus' birth is first heard. Isaiah says, The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So most will immediately recognize those infamous words also from the very first chapter in the New Testament where the fulfillment of those words is explained. We're most likely all familiar with that story in Matthew. When Joseph discovered that Mary was pregnant, he assumed that Mary had been unfaithful to him until an angel of the Lord came to him to tell him otherwise. You have Matthew? Okay. Matthew 1, 20 20-21 says, And he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared, no, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And that's the passage that most of us are most familiar with. You know, we hear it every Christmas, you know, we hear the birth story. Um, Matthew then goes on in verses 22 and 23 to identify and connect this back to the words of Isaiah. He says, So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the, through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Um, and I thought it was important to note punctuation here. Um, if you're able to look at those scriptures, um, he's directly quoting Isaiah when he says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. But the part where it says, which is translated God with us, that's Matthew's words. So Matthew made it a point to specifically say, Jesus' name is literally God with us. Um, with these words, Matthew declares that, one, that this baby that is born was the baby spoken about in Isaiah's prophecy, and also, too, that this baby is literally God. Um, it's also worth noting that some may deny the accuracy of this prophecy, considering that it was supposedly originally meant as a sign specifically for Ahaz, who was long dead when the Messiah was born and the prophecy was meant to be fulfilled. But if we look a little closer at Isaiah's prophecy, we can see its validity. Although God offered that personal sign to Ahaz, when Ahaz refused the offer, the Lord turned his attention from Ahaz as an individual to the house of David at large. We can see back in Isaiah 7:13, the very first words that the prophet spoke after Ahaz refused that sign were, Hear now, O house of David. Ahaz was a descendant of David, so the statement referenced both Ahaz himself and all of David's descendants to come. Um, the promise was expanded then beyond Ahaz. 
another interesting thing to know is that um, this is exactly how Joseph is addressed by the angel in Matthew 1. Um, he's addressed Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. So the prophecy of Jesus' birth does genuinely come full circle in its connections and fulfillments. Um, Isaiah, that's just one of the prophecies in Isaiah, probably the most well-known. Um, and Sister Cindy is going to dig a little more and talk about some more prophecies we see in Isaiah. So the book of Isaiah is full of prophecies. It's like you cannot read Isaiah without discovering them all throughout his book. Uh, so in a prison cell, John the Baptist heard a report about the activities of Jesus. So we're flipping to the New Testament real quick. He sent two of his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the coming one or do we look for another? And this is in Matthew 11. Basing his answer on the prophecies of Isaiah, Jesus said, and then this answer is in Matthew 11, 4 through 6. Does someone have that? I do. Okay. Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and shew John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Perfect. Now who has Isaiah 35, 4 through 6? Isaiah 35, 4. You also? Okay. So then read this contrast from Isaiah, or read this passage. Sure. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Even God with a recompense, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as in heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing, for in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. So Jesus is literally confirming that he is the one that they were speaking about, that Isaiah was mentioning in his book. He is, he is quoting a lot of the same passages that Isaiah did. One of the most remarkable prophecies of the Messiah and his word begins in Isaiah 52. And I do encourage you, if you have a Bible or your phone, to turn to Isaiah 52 because we're going to kind of hit a lot right there. So his, in Isaiah 52, 13, and it continues all through Isaiah 53, this extended prophecy explains in detail how the Messiah would suffer and die as our sin bearer, but it also anticipates his resurrection from the dead. So I want to challenge you guys. Anyone who has a phone or a Bible, look through Isaiah 53, and I'm going to give you a few moments. Just focus on 53. There are at least one, two, three, four, five notable prophecies in Isaiah 53. Skim through it. When you find one, just read it out. Go ahead. What does it say? Are you saying 52 or is it in 53? 52 and 53? Yes, but specifically for this 53. Okay. Number three says he is despised and rejected of men, man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as if it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Exactly. That was one of them. It was uh, 53, 1 and 3. And so that prophecy is found, is fulfilled in the book of John. And I'm going to read that while you're continuing to look. 
John 12, 37. And it says, But despite all the miracles, signs Jesus had done, most of the people still did not believe in him. And this is exactly what Isaiah the prophet had predicted when he spoke, Lord, who has believed our message, to whom will the Lord reveal this powerful his powerful arm? The people couldn't believe. For Isaiah also said, The Lord has blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts, and so their eyes could not see, and their hearts could not understand, and they could not turn to me. Isaiah was referring to Jesus when he said this, because he saw the future, and he spoke of the Messiah's glory. <clears throat> Did you find one, Mom? Did you find one of the prophecies in 53? No, I wasn't looking. <laughs> <laughs> Mom, look through it. You like a puzzle. Look through Isaiah 53. There's... I'm waiting on my scripture of Philippians. Oh, there's four more prophecies there. And if you can't find them, we all help you out. But I'll give you a few more minutes. Okay, what scripture do you need? Anywhere in the book of Isaiah 53, chapter 53. Where it says he was wounded for our transgressions? Yes. What, what verse is that one? On five. Okay, yeah, absolutely. So, five, six, eight, and ten all go together. And that was going to talk about the Messiah was to die as a sacrifice for sin. So, Isaiah spoke of that in four verses in the book, in 53. And, of course, we know that was fulfilled in Acts. Um, Acts 10, 43, Acts 13, 38, and 39, they all talk about how he was wounded. He died as a sacrifice for our sins. So that's two. There's three more in there. Got one, Bishop? Not yet, huh? About <laughs> three. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears. He is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. Yeah, what are, where, which verse is that? Well, it just slipped right in. That's okay. Yeah. But yep. Seven, maybe? Seven. Seven, perfect. And that is mentioned in multiple Gospels, but I just pulled out one, which was in Mark 15. And then there's two more right after where you were at. Okay. These are all in 53? Yep. 38. Yep. 38. I didn't got it. Eight. Eight. <laughs> she gave oh, you homework. Wait, this is stuck. <laughs> what about yeah. Isaiah 53, verse 8? What does that mean? He's, he's, he's got it? From prison? He was, yeah. Here? Yes. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare this generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living for a transgression of my people. And he was stricken. Exactly. Thank you. So that is in Matthew 27. Let me pull that up real quick. Matthew 27. And again, it's in multiple spots in the gospel. This is just one of the ones that I picked. Matthew 27. 1 says, if I can find it. 
Very, very early in the morning, the leading priests and the elders of the people met again to lay plans for putting Jesus to death. And then they bound him, led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman government. So we see he was imprisoned and, and tried and, and died uh, for us. And that was prophesied by Isaiah. And then there is one more in there. It's just a few verses down. Anyone see it? How about 12? Anything in 12? Isaiah. Therefore will I... No, I won't. <laughs> I hit something and it went... You and Kylie. Yeah. Keep, she's doing it having that too. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he had poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. That's beautiful. And then we know that as Jesus hung on the cross, he was hung between two criminals and two people who really did have transgressions, and then he also died for ours. So Luke 23, 32 says, Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. And that's a parallel to what the prophecy is in Isaiah 53, 12. So I find it completely fascinating that the Lord opened up Isaiah's mind to really speak what was going to happen when Jesus was born and, and his life and how his, he would end and you know what he would go through. And this was the truth of, this is how they knew that Jesus really was the Messiah because he fulfilled all these prophecies that were spoken so many generations before. And then I'm going to pass this to Kylie. She's going to continue on in Isaiah. And someone probably has Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. Okay. Does anybody recognize these words? Um, they were spoken in another location in the New Testament. Um, so Jesus actually said these words um, in Luke 4. Does someone have, I think that's also a scripture, someone? 4.18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to them that are captive, and re recovering the, uh, of sight to them that are blind, at liberty with them that are abused, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. You have a good reading voice. He does. That's not pastor. <laughs> okay, so as he read to the people in the synagogue, he stopped in the middle after the words, 
The time of the Lord's favor has come. So then I wrote this in here, so Kylie's a little thrown because I didn't in the book. I got excited and I added to her section. <laughs> um, well, this was Jesus' first sermon. <laughs> and I had to add it. <laughs> well, in here. that's why I'm confused because it's technically your section still. <laughs> oh, okay. And you passed it over to me and I was like, mm. okay, well, let's keep going. Then. I added tears. So this was Jesus' first sermon, and um, he is in the synagogue, and they had handed him the scroll to read something, and this is the passage that he reads, that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives to be released, okay. then that the blind will see and the oppressed will be set free, and the time of the Lord's favor has come. And then he rolls up the scroll, and he hands it back. And he tells them, the scriptures that you just heard, they've been fulfilled today, on this day. I'm fulfilling these scriptures. Cannot be any more clear or any more plain that he is saying that I am the Messiah. I am the one that has been prophesied about many, many years ago. And so Isaiah said it in 61 and chapter 61, and that was the first sermon that Jesus chose to speak was out of the book of Isaiah 61. So another, this was just one of many other cases where Jesus actually quotes uh, prophecy and he identifies himself as the Messiah. It, it, you know, later on you, we find out when he's crucified that they're say, they'll say, you know, are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? Well, where have you been? He's been really saying it without actually saying I am the Messiah. He's saying I'm fulfilling the scriptures this day. So anyone who was listening and following him in that time, their eyes were being opened to the truth of who he was. And then there's an Isaiah 45, 21 through 24. Does someone have that one? Brother Kevin, would you want to read that? Sure. Tell you and bring them near. You let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me. A just God and a Savior, there is none beside me. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness, and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Surely shall one say, In the Lord have I righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come, and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. How many more ways can he say, I am God and I am God alone? He says this throughout the whole book of Isaiah. I am God, there is none beside me. I am God, I am God alone, there is none beside me. It's repeated chapter after chapter after chapter. It's like they had a problem with idol idolatry. They had a problem with worshiping anything and everything. The sun, the moon, the stars, the golden calf, anything that came their way. They, they just could not get it straight that that there was no other God, that he is the only one. So, he, you know, Isaiah is saying it over and over again, and it's kind of redundant, but it had to be said. How many times does God have to say something to us repeatedly, and we don't hear it the first time, we don't hear it the second time, maybe it's the third or fourth time when it starts to sink in. You know, he's really trying to set this in his, in his chosen people, that I alone am God and there is none beside me. And then another part of what Brother Kevin read is that every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess. Now, we don't, with that prophecy, is not here yet. So intertwined with the prophecy of 
God robing himself in flesh and being our ultimate sacrifice and, and forgiving us and saving us from our sin is this additional prophecy to come that eventually every single person is going to bow before his throne. Whether they believe he is the only God or not, that doesn't matter because he is the only God and they will bow. So, Mom, you have been holding on to Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Yes. Something that we, we might take for granted is that with the computers and the things that we have nowadays, we, it's readily available. But in that day, everything was chiseled on stone. Yeah. And all these prophecies that we are reading today were chiseled on stone. And if he was not God, how would he know all of these prophecies right. that were chiseled on stone from many, many, many years back? Right. Um, they, you know, some of them were buried in a cave for years yeah. and was finally brought out. God could only... We'd be the one that knows, knows all that because he is the one to tell them about it. Yeah. It's so beautifully and perfectly written. When I, Kylie and I were trying to come up with what we were going to call this, we had really, one of the things that we had talked about was uh, the tapestry of Christ. Because if you think about it, you know, it's, there's all these beautiful stories, all these beautiful prophecies, all these beautiful miracles and um, just Things that have happened that if you wove them together, you're going to see it's the Bible. The Bible is the tapestry of Christ. It's every part of it is just so beautifully orchestrated. And you're right, it wasn't all available to everyone all the time. But God is a God of order and fulfillment. And he always, you know, fulfills those prophecies. So we've got a lot of prophecies that haven't been fulfilled yet that we need to probably pay attention to and see what's coming ahead as well. Um, Mom, Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should, should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So um, Brother Kevin is reading, and he's saying that, you know, Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. And then in Philippians, they add, at the name of Jesus. Amen. They didn't know the name back in the Old Testament in those Hebrew scriptures. But Paul is telling the, the church of Philippi, this is, this is the name that every knee is going to bow to. It is the name of Jesus Christ. And it can't be any more clear that the God of the New Testament is the God of the Old Testament. That Jesus and God are one. I mean, you can't get away from oneness when you're talking about Jesus because he is God. Mm -hmm. Paul's statement, yeah. Did you get that to where he said, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. In other words, in hell. Mm -hmm. every, every knee shall bow, even those that are in hell. Yeah, will bow because, to the master. That's not something I've really ever thought about before, but that's powerful. Very powerful. Even those that denounced his name. You know. It doesn't matter. Yeah, know him or don't Every know him. Every knee shall bow even in hell. What a beautiful sight that will be. I'm excited for that moment. When, when, when Jesus broke the thing of sin, he went to hell then when he died. Yep, yep, he conquered it. Yes, he did. He sure did. And so, um, my last statement here is the Old Testament, the Hebrew Yahweh, um, is Again, I mentioned this last week, but as you go through the Old Testament, 
You're not going to necessarily see the word Yahweh written in Scripture. You're going to see Lord in all caps. It's kind of like a lower caps, but it's in all caps. And that was one of the um, ways that it was written into English. So just pay attention as you're going through the Old Testament and the New Testament. Look for that word Lord in all caps, and that means Yahweh. Um, that was just a little extra in there. And then Kylie's going to lead us into the prophet Joel or Joel, which is the way I want to say it. <laughs> well, I usually say it Joel. <laughs> but, so aside from the prophecy of Jesus' birth in Isaiah, which we already talked about previously, the prophecy that was spoken by Joel is probably... Arguably, especially among Pentecostals, the most well-known prophecy that's recorded in the Bible because what what was Joel's prophecy about? Anyone know? Or in the last remember? day. Yeah, the day of Pentecost. Yep. Exactly. So on the day of Pentecost, Peter actually quoted extensively from the prophet Joel to explain the supernatural events that happened on that day. Um, after hearing people in that moment, after hearing people speak in many different languages that they had never even learned, the people were amazed and they wondered what that meant. Um, some mocked and said that, you know, these people, these people are just drunk, you know. Peter quickly refutes that in Acts 2.16, and he says, These people aren't drunk. What you're seeing, in fact, is exactly what the prophet Joel was talking about way back when. Um, it says that, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, specifically in that verse. Peter then quotes Joel 2.28-32 directly, um, and that is in Acts 2.17. I think someone has that passage of scripture. It. Perfect, Nelson. And Go it will come to pass in the last days, saith God, that I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens will I pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood, and fire, and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before that great and noble day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Awesome job, you guys. She didn't even open up her Bible. She just recited That was that. all memory. Yeah. Bible was I noticed that. That was beautiful. What Very a great beautiful. testimony no of the greatness of Bible quizzing. That's beautiful. Great job, Alyssa. That was like four scriptures, four long scriptures not a missed of, of Old Testament prophecy that she had memorized. Yeah. Beautiful. Crazy. All right. So upon further examination, it's clear through this passage that Peter had more in mind, even though these are the verses he quoted, it's clear that he had more in mind than just those few verses. So... The book of Joel seemed to be foundational, in fact, to his sermon that he gave on the day of Pentecost because the book of Joel appears not only in direct quotes but also in other verbal references just constantly throughout his sermon. Um, for example, and we're going to talk about a few examples, um, I think the book that we use for reference listed about like seven or eight 
So it's just crazy. His sermon was absolutely littered with Old Testament prophecy from Joel. Um, for example, Joel wrote that there shall be deliverance in Jerusalem specifically, and that's in Joel 2, verse 32. Um, and in Acts 1, Jesus commands his disciples not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father there. Um, and it's, a, it's significant that it's essential to be in Jerusalem to receive the promise of the Holy Spirit because Joel identified Jerusalem as that physical geographical location of that initial deliverance where the day of Pentecost was going to occur, where the Spirit was going to be poured out. Um, and then it obviously was spread after that through the efforts of the disciples. The gospel was spread. Um, a second link between Joel and Acts, um, Joel 2.28, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Um, Luke recorded that Jesus said to his disciples, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You shall receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So the promise given by Joel is nearly identical to the promise given by Jesus when they're talking about the outpouring of the Spirit. And another interesting thing to note is that Joel wrote that your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Um, on my manservants and my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit. Um, and Luke also makes sure to note that they went to the upper room with women, you know, with Mary, the mother of Jesus as well. And this is significant because women's presence wasn't always documented in the Bible. And it was made mention of in this moment. And Joel specifically said manservants and maidservants. He made a point in both locations to mention that. You know, men and women, both, they were there. Um, so a fourth link we can see, I'm not going to go over all seven or eight, however many he gave, but um, a fourth link we can see in the first two verses of Joel 3, he writes, When I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations. And then Luke records that on the day of Pentecost, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So Joel's promise included all nations, and Luke's promise confirms that. Um, on the day of Pentecost, people were present from every nation. Um, another connection between Joel and Acts can be seen in Peter's answer to the question, what shall we do? Um, after they heard Peter's sermon, you know, they were, they were pricked in their heart. We've, I feel like a lot of us have heard that story. They were pricked in their heart, and they said, what shall we do? Um, and then this is one of the scriptures. Someone has Joel 1, 3. Did you make these two it. separate? I don't know that I caught those, so I can read Joel. Oh, it's a lot. This okay. one's a lot, so. Yeah, <laughs> okay, Joel 1, through 1, 3. Mm-hmm. 1-3 one, three. One, three says, tell your children about it in the years to come and let your children tell their children. Pass the story down from generation to generation. That is why the Lord says, turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts. Call, Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. 
and 32 of the same chapter. And 32 says, But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. From some on Mount Zion in Jerusalem will escape, just as the Lord has said. Those will be the <coughs> survivors who the Lord has called. All right. So the book of Acts records Peter's words, which we're a little more familiar with. And I'll read this passage that says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, and to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. <clears throat> so in Peter's answer to this question, what shall we do? There are both links and also direct quotes to the prophet Joel, <clears throat> which I never knew this myself, that he was quoting Joel in that moment um, also. But Peter's command to repent essentially summarizes Joel's call to turn to God with all one's heart, with fasting, weeping, mourning, and the rendering of the heart. Peter's promise of remission of sins captures Joel's promise that God is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and that he relents from doing harm. Peter's command to be baptized in the name of Jesus is his answer to Joel's promise that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter's statement that the promise of the Spirit is not only to those present, but to their children and to all that are far off. Um, as Joel mentioned, you know, passing it on to your children, he mentioned that as well. And finally, Peter ends his charge by saying, you know, as many as the Lord our God will call, which is nearly identical to Joel's final words saying, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. So there's nearly a perfect parallel we can see between the prophecy that was written by Joel and the call to action that was given by Peter on the day of Pentecost. Um, so we see, we opened up with a story of Peter and in the synagogue and how he um, was reading out of the book of Isaiah while he was quoting that. And then we ended tonight by another passage where Peter is uh, reflecting the words of another prophet, Joel. So I feel like this whole lesson on the prophets, there's just so much information that we can find where the prophecies point to Jesus Christ. So with this lesson, that wraps it up. And then next week, we're going to talk about how the Psalms reveal Jesus. And this is going to go through uh, how the Psalms were used in the New Testament, David's view uh, of the Psalms, the prayer of Jesus on the cross, and then another prayer of the Messiah. So if you're signed up to join us next week, we're going to wrap up lesson three and this series on Jesus using the Psalms. So thank you all for coming. Um, and you have three minutes back. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you guys have a good night.